you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Thank you, Andy. Good morning, everyone. Cool to have Elam with us today, huh? I, um, Glenn, Glenn mentioned that uh, I had the privilege of working with him at Elam um, for a while. That, end, that time ended about a year ago now, but um, it was really cool to get to see the inner workings of what Elam does at the school and the adult ministry, and um, it's such a remarkable thing in that it's yeah, I couldn't think of a better way to explain it except that it's a two-way street, right? Like so often when people like us, churches like us, support ministries, we, you know, you might give money or time or whatever it is and you give in to the ministry and, and ministry happens there and that's great, but it kind of can tend to stop there. But Elam's ministry has this two-way kind of reciprocal thing. I mean, weren't you guys blessed by having this team with us this morning? Um, so it's... Right. Thank you guys for being with us. I, I don't know the numbers exactly, but I remember learning while I was there that um, some of the, the people in Elam's adults, adult service program have been there for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, a long, long time. So for that long, they have been being blessed and ministered too, but blessing and serving churches like ours. So it's just, it's really neat. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for adding an element of unique joy and, and a blessing to our worship this morning. Um, before we go any further, um, I want to acknowledge that tomorrow is Veterans Day in our country. And so my own dad is here. He's a veteran. I know there are several others. I mean, maybe up to a dozen even, perhaps in this room today. But um, there are lots of, of veterans in our church community. So I just want to take a minute to honor their willingness to serve the neighbors in that way, right? That's a remarkable thing. Um, amen. And on top of that, um, one of the things that days like Veterans Day or Memorial Day or other certain um, holidays remind us of is that as the people of Jesus, we look forward to a day when the very idea of being a military veteran will be vanquished, right? Because Jesus will make all things right and there won't be a need for military service or what have you, war, violence, all that stuff will be wiped, the the slate will be wiped clean one day. We are a people who look forward to that future in hope and who, as as we endure kind of the the present where the future and the present kind of get mixed up, we're a people who seek to embody that future in the present day. And so, um, actually, it struck me that Christians are almost like a people who are trying to get back to the future, right? Like that when you enter into Christ, you're almost transported into the future and you're made part of this fully realized kingdom where Jesus reigns and his ways are supreme, but then you find yourself still living in the present day. And so we are a people who live in the present, but our citizenship, you might say, is in the future. And so in the present day, we seek to be what the world will one day be, right? We know things in Christ that the world is yet to fully realize, and so um, we are a people who look forward to the day when the Prince of Peace will have uh, his way in all things and with all people. Um, amen. So let me read, um, relatively unrelated to what I have to say next. Let me read uh, our passage for this morning, then we'll pray. Um, we are just, I think, 
we've, next week is our last week in First Peter, if I uh, remember correctly, and then we'll dive into some new things. So this morning we're in First uh, Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So let me read this passage to us, and then we'll take it from there. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we acknowledge your presence here with us this morning. We recognize that you are a God who is always present and at work in song and in proclaimed gospel and in fellowship and in generosity and even in the administrative aspects. You are present and you are working. So Lord, as we um, hear your heart for us from this passage this morning, we pray that you would make us receptive, give us ears to hear God, but most of all, give us the faith and the courage and the obedience to embody what you put forward for us today. We want to be a people who hear and obey God. So do that work in us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, let me point out something obvious to us first, okay? Um, It doesn't take much observation for any of us to look around our world and realize that we live in a world that values efficiency over integrity. Our world values results over righteousness, and it values effectiveness over faithfulness. I think if we look the world around us, that's easy enough for us to see. We do see it everywhere we look, right? I think we see it as the underlying principle even in the way we do education. I think it's the operating principle in corporate America, and I think it's kind of the obvious principle of politics and government, right? And that's not a shade to anyone. That's always the case. We see it everywhere we look, and sadly, we even sometimes see those dynamics at work in the church, which it just breaks my heart to say. Um, But we see it almost somewhat regularly. Um, In the last decade, there was a pastor who... Uh, whose church grew to 14,000 members. 14,000, that's effectiveness, right? Those are results. Yet this pastor resigned amid claims of verbal and emotional abuse and mistreatment and bullying, and yet within within a year had moved and started a new church, right? Now, God will work in repentance and forgiveness, yes and amen, but there's something in that that strikes me as maybe not quite right that because of the results and the effectiveness, that the deep level of work that needed to be done in light of all those claims was kind of overshadowed because really we're focused on the results, right? That, That didn't sit well with me when I read that story several years ago. And I think the reality, you probably are thinking of other stories similarly yourselves in whatever sphere of society it is you have in mind. We see this everywhere we look. But ultimately our... Uh, the way we think about such things is, well, what's a little bullying if the numbers are good, right? What's a little bit of uh, mistreatment 
if the profit margins are high. It's really, in our world, the end that justifies the means. That's the way the world works. The trouble with that approach, church, is that as Christians, we believe that the world in its present form is passing away, and that a new world is coming in which the rule of Jesus will be supreme, and the means will always align with the end. That is the way the kingdom of God works. And so as Christians, as I said earlier, we seek to embody that future world now in the present day, right? All of Jesus, for us, is not to effectiveness, but to faithfulness. We are not called to make sure that we are effective. God will take care of that. We are called to be faithful. And in our passage today, Peter juxtaposes the way of the present world with the way of that future world, right? He juxtaposes the way of the world's present kingdoms with the way of God's kingdom. And he does so in a way that appears to be exclusively uh, an encouragement to people who are in those positions of eldership in the church, which, if you're unfamiliar, is, to vastly oversimplify it, um, people in the church who are called by God to serve and lead at an exceptional level. Um, It looks like Peter is speaking exclusively to people in that role. And there's something there that we'll get to. But at the core, what Peter has to say in today's passage is really for each and every one of us. Because as far as I can tell, if elders are to be examples to the flock, and the point of an example is that others follow it, then an encouragement to elders is really an encouragement to all of us. And so this, I think, becomes uniquely clear in verse 5. Peter gives this really vivid word picture where he says, All of you, whether you are an elder or you are the younger or you're somewhere in between, clothe yourselves in humility. Clothe yourselves in humility. This might seem kind of simple, but I think we really have to be careful with the way we understand this. Because the culture we live in is a powerful one that has deeply formed us in places we don't even always see. So much so that maybe when we hear Peter say, clothe yourselves in humility... What we think he means is that he's basically giving us a pro tip on how to lead well or how to influence the world for Jesus. Now, humility might turn out to be an effective way to lead others by example, right? And it might turn out to influence others to come and know Jesus, but that's not why Peter encourages it. If we think about it in those terms, then we're still stuck in a framework of productivity and results, right? I'll clothe myself in humility because that will cause me to be effective in a way that will get me the promotion I need. Or I'll clothe myself in humility because then people will take notice of how humble I am and I'll be able to climb the corporate ladder or whatever other example you want to give, right? We can't think about this in a framework of effectiveness and results. That's not why Peter encourages it that way. And our culture has formed us so deeply that maybe we do. Peter doesn't command the church to clothe itself in humility because it's effective, church, but because it is faithful. Humility is the way of Jesus, right? Who, though he was equal with God, who, though he was God, did not consider his equality with God something to take advantage of. This is from the letter of Philippians. Jesus, though he was in very nature God, let go of his godness and humbled himself and made himself nothing. Everything Peter has to say in these five verses, I think you could probably say in entire letter of 1 Peter can be summed up in three simple words, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. That's the call for the Christian life. And the three main specific encouragements that come out in these verses are really just a commentary 
on the life of Jesus. So um, I think we have these passages on slides behind me. First thing Peter says in verse 2 is to be shepherds of God's flock, or more generally speaking, do what you've been called to do, not because you must, but because you're willing. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down willingly. Peter's just giving us a commentary on the life of Jesus. And his point is that Jesus did not seek to be effective. He sought to be faithful. Second thing Peter says is do what you've called to do, not to pursue dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Luke chapter 22, verse 27. Who is greater, Jesus asks his disciples, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? He says kind of obviously, it's the one at the table. And yet, I am among you as one who serves, Jesus says. He redefines for us what it means to be the greatest. And it lies at its heart in the fact that it's not about effectiveness, but about faithfulness. The third thing Peter says is do what you've been called to do, not lording it over others, but being an example. Again, in Luke chapter 22, a few verses earlier, the rulers of the Gentile, the rulers in this world, their authority over their subjects. But it shall not be so among you. Those who are the greatest among you shall take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Church, Jesus sought not to be effective, but to be faithful. And we have a really difficult task. We have got to untangle ourselves from the world's way of doing things and the world's motive for doing things. Jesus didn't concern himself with how to get things done effectively, but he sought to be faithful to who he knew God to be. That's the heart of the question. What is, God's, what is God like? What is God's character? What is God's will and his purpose in the world? And let us seek to be faithful to that. When, I can't say this, uh, I can't say this, I think, with enough emphasis, if we seek, if we prioritize effectiveness over faithfulness, we run a great risk of tossing faithfulness out the window in order to be effective. The world knows how to be effective better than the church does, on the world's terms anyway, right? The world knows how to market and get people into buildings and how to build crowds and how to satisfy people and all that stuff. It's really difficult to resist the temptation to do that when we're seeking to be effective. But if we prioritize faithfulness, God will use our faithfulness in ways that he determines are effective. One theologian in the 20th century, we have this behind me, said this, that the relationship between the obedience of God's people and the triumph of God's cause is not a relationship of cause and effect, but of cross and resurrection. Let me say that again. The relationship between the obedience of God's people, between our obedience and the triumph of God's cause is not a relationship of cause and effect, but of a cross and resurrection. In other words, we don't, uh, as, as the church, we don't obey, we don't live the life Jesus patterns for us, we don't clothe ourselves in humility because in so doing we'll cause a certain effect, right? Oh, if we're, 
if we're humble, then um, everyone will see it and want to convert to Christianity and follow Jesus. That might happen. God will use it in some way, but that's not our motive. Our motive is to be so captivated and amazed by Jesus that we ruggedly commit to be faithful to him, even if our faithfulness leads us to a cross, like it did for Jesus. And to be clear, the cross is not an effective way to get things done, right? The cross is not going to land in John C. Maxwell's next book about irrefutable laws of leadership or how to be effective and efficient in today's world. But as Christians, we trust that even if our faithfulness leads us to a cross, God can bring resurrection, right? That's the principle at play in those words, that it's not about causing a certain cause and and kind of leveraging things so that a certain effect will happen. No, we are faithful even unto death on a cross, as Jesus was, and God will bring resurrection, not just to us, but eventually to the whole world. God is bringing new life. Another guy, his name was Leslie Newbegin, said that when the church tries to embody the rule of God in the forms of earthly power, it might achieve that power, but it will no longer be a sign of the kingdom. When the church tries to embody the rule of God in the forms of earthly power, it might be effective in so doing, but it will probably come at the cost of the church's faithfulness. When we pursue effectiveness, as our goal, as I said earlier, church, we, we put ourselves at great risk of abandoning faithfulness along the way, right? The, the mindset there is this. Well, sure, the means don't quite align with the ends, but ultimately it's the end that counts, right? If we can get done what God needs us to get done for him in the world, however we got there is probably fine. No, that's, that's not how it works in God's kingdom. In the kingdom that Jesus rules over, the means and the ends always align. There is no resurrection without crucifixion, right? And in the world's eyes, the cross is a stumbling block. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians, that when the world looks at the cross, an instrument of terror and of, uh, what's the term? You know, it's, it, for the Romans, the cross was where you got the death penalty. It's the electric chair of their day. The cross is a stumbling block in the world's eyes, and that makes sense. All of us at one time or another were apart from God and would have seen, if we don't maybe still see now, the stupidity of the cross. And yet God God says through Peter here that although it is a stumbling block in the world's eyes, to those of us who have become the people of God, the cross is God's very power and wisdom. The cross is where Jesus' faithfulness led him And the life that Jesus calls us to is a cross-shaped life. The term that theologians use for that is cruciform, in the shape of the cross. That is the life of discipleship Jesus calls us to. Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus said, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but... Whoever loses their life for me will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? Do you see the dynamic of effectiveness versus faithfulness in those words from Jesus? What good is it? Go ahead and gain the whole world. 
but it's going to cost you. So what does it look like, church, for us to live this cruciform life in the world today? It's not easy, right? This is the most difficult thing. Um, I'm going to wing this here. That I think G.K. British author, theologian, 100 years ago or so. I don't know if anyone knows on that, but... Uh, I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said that the call or the ideals of Jesus have not been tried and found wanting. They have been found difficult and not tried, right? It's not that we've, you know, people have tried to live the life Jesus called us to and like, well, this doesn't really work. It's not really fulfilling or whatever. It's like, no, we read the Sermon on the Mount and we're like, no, thanks, I just don't know if I'm up for that, right? It's okay to feel that way. I feel that way often, more often than I would like. Um, But what does it look like for us to live a cruciform life, a life in the shape of the cross, a life that looks like Jesus in our world today, one that seeks to be faithful rather than effective? Well, very room. You don't have to look far, I think, to find examples of that. But what I'd like to do in the next few minutes is just point out some examples from those people among us who have been recognized as elders in this church. They've been faithfully serving among us. You may not know their names, you may not know their faces, particularly if you're newer, but there are certain individuals who have been faithfully leading and serving this church for years, some for decades. And the reason, in part at least, that they, I don't love this language, but they're in that position of eldership, is because they have embodied for us in a way that helps us to do the same, this life of following Jesus. So let me give us a few examples. Um, From about 2012, fall of 2012, to probably the spring of 2015, um, we had a really cool basketball ministry in this church. Some of you remember it. We'd have 50, 60 kids from the community come here or to a local school, play basketball with us, We'd feed them, we'd pray with them, we'd build a relationship with them. It was, it was remarkable, right? I, was, I even say that as the person who people would have said was leading it. And I'm not ashamed to say it was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, God was working in that ministry. It was awesome, right? Praise God for that. I don't, is Kelly here today? I don't think I saw her. Someone here, uh, rather new to our church, is related, I think a cousin to one of the young man who was in that ministry. Just really cool thing God's been doing. But anyway, so we ran this ministry for several years. And every single Monday night, every single Monday night for three years, give or take, um, there was this awesome team of people who showed up. And part of that team was Bill and Joyce Prince, who have been, Bill, you've been an elder here for as long as I've been alive, roughly, a, a long time. And so Bill and Joyce, every month, they would show up with Ev and Ruth McGuire, with my parents, Larry and Ellen Barker, with J.R. and Sarah Thompson, with Ryan Neff, and at times others. And they were relentlessly faithful to what God was doing. I mean, they'd show up early, they would pray, they would stick around to help serve dinner. They'd, I mean, Bill and Ev got on the basketball court sometimes, which is really a sight to see. But what was remarkable was the way that they would create space to build relationships with these young men that we had almost nothing in common with. It was really difficult to find those commonalities. And yet, um, Bill and Joyce and the team uh, were there every week, encouraging them, praying with them, you know, inquiring about their families and stuff. And if you know Bill and Joyce at all, or if you witnessed that, 
you know that it happened not because they must, not because they had to, but because they were willing, right? What an example for us. I don't think they're here today, but Todd and Pam Pals, along with Jay and Paige Weinsma, have been in this church since, as far as I know, the beginning of it, or very close to that. And so many of us have been blessed by their friendship and their wisdom. Pam and Paige were instrumental in uh, the redesigning church. I remember one morning, uh, evening rather, I think it was Pam and Paige, I walked in, I think for youth group, and in the back of the sanctuary, there was a projector pointing out through the glass that was projecting that map you see there of the, of the world. And they were painting by hand all the gray space, like along these lines. They must have been doing it for hours and hours. And you guys know that Pam and Paige have been doing that kind of stuff for years. And no one ever notices it. But it's instrumental, right, to who we are, to the life of this church. And so many of us have been blessed by, like, wedding showers and parties and stuff that they've put on. It's awesome. And, of course, Todd and Jay provide so much insight and oversight and wisdom into the finances of the church and the administration and just, like, being in relationship with people, giving wisdom and guidance. And if you know any of those four people, you know that they have no interest in dishonest gain. They come among us as those who serve. That is what they do for us. And finally, Andy and Michelle Smith, who are here, and Dave and Sam Prince, who are either in England or Spain right now, are really the tip of the spear in our church community, right? They are the first ones on their knees seeking God's heart and his vision for this church, responding to God's voice and giving their lives to what God is doing among us. And they embody for us Jesus' proclamation that though the leaders of the world lord their authority over others, it shall not be so among you. I mean, it, it is not so with Andy and Michelle and Dave and Sam. Their authority that they rightly carry is not lorded over a single one of us. They come among us again as those who serve. What an example they are to us, right? Amen. So, in saying all this, church, all I want to do is help us to see that God has richly blessed us, right? He has this church with leaders who have for years taken seriously Peter's call to clothe yourselves in humility. These leaders and others among us show us that what's important is not figuring out the best way to be effective, but learning to be faithful to who Jesus is, and to what Jesus has shown us. And they remind us why Jesus calls us to this cruciform life, this life of faithfulness. And ultimately, it's because one day, one day, faithfulness will be shown to be the most effective thing of all. Right? I hope that that's obvious. That faithfulness might seem ineffective, but ultimately, it is the only thing that will be effective. That because the kingdom of God is so upside down. Rather, I I prefer to say that the world is upside down and the kingdom of God is what's upside right. And faithfulness is what turns things that are upside down, upside right. And one day, when God's project is finished of making the whole world right, all eyes will see that faithfulness was the most effective thing all along. Amen? Amen. Let me just um, pray for us. And then... Should we sing another song? We have time. Should we do, you guys want to do one more? All right, we'll do that. Lord, thank you for um, 
the gift of yourself. God, thank you that you always make yourself present to us, that you speak to us, um, that you work in our lives. And thank you most of all, you are indeed making all things new, making all things right. Everything that is sad in our world will one day come untrue because of Jesus. And God, we are so grateful for that. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Lord, that we would concern ourselves not with how to get things done most efficiently or effectively, but how to be faithful. God, let that be the foundation of this church, of each one of our lives, that faithfulness will determine for us what effectiveness and results and productivity look like. Give us, Lord, the wisdom, the insight, the courage, the humility to live the cross-shaped life in this world. We long to be faithful to Jesus. So God, work that out in us as only you can. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, You guys want to come back?